Here's an example, and this is a real example that has been studied. Uh, Beetroot juice, which is shown to improve performance, and caffeine, which is shown to improve performance. Let's just say, uh, and they've done this study, but I'm making these numbers up off the top of my head because I don't have the study in front of me. (laughs) Um, Let's just say caffeine improves your performance by 2% and beetroot juice improves your your performance by 2%. You don't get, so then... You're like, okay, I'll, I'll take both and I'll get 4%. That's not what happens. When you combine both of them together, you still only get 2%. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co., I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today we're answering listener questions on caffeine's effect on your training, how to use the Exert training platform, and a follow-up question from our last talk on genetic ceilings. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. Spring is in the air, which means warmer days are coming, and luckily for you, Flow has everything you need to prepare for those hot summer races with their low and high sodium drink formulas and their electrolyte replacement drink mixes. So head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITION10 for 10% off your next order. That's right. New discount code, Ignition10. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title, The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a direct message. All right, let's get into it. Okay, we got we got three questions this week that we're going to cover. Um, I doubt we'll get to four because the, the last one's kind of heavy, but... Um, all different, pretty different subjects here. So the first one's talking about caffeine, specifically as it relates to staying within zone two. So this one comes from Josh, and he says, I typically drink two cups of coffee before my rides. And then he expresses that he has an espresso machine, so two double-shot cups with steamed oat milk, to be clear. Sweet. So he's drinking a couple lattes before his rides. Uh, he says, I'm curious how this might affect my ability to stay in zone two during my long endurance rides. I feel like I can tell a difference when it has been three to four hours or more between coffee consumption and my ride uh, versus less than one hour, which is typically what I do on the daily. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think what he's getting at here is like, you know, how does caffeine affect like your body's ability to uh, to stay within, like he's specifically saying like zone two, but yeah. you know, what are the effects of caffeine on the body and, and how it relates to, I'm guessing staying within zone two heart rate. Um, sure. Maybe even power. I mean, well, um, so yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a great question. And, uh, to be honest, any answer that we give you is just going to be speculation at this point, because I don't know of any research that has looked into how, uh, caffeine consumption affects your ability to know, stay in zone two. There is a lot of research on caffeine consumption, but usually when they do the research, they're doing having the subjects do some sort of max test to see whether they can perform better with or without caffeine. And uh, anyone who's watched my video on that knows that caffeine is a performance enhancer for most people, although there are um, certain people with certain genetic uh, preconditions that they're not preconditions, but they're the genet- they're genetically slow caffeine metabolizers who are not going to benefit from caffeine consumption, but they're in the minority. Most people are going to benefit in a max test from caffeine consumption. What you're getting at here though, is something that I, I haven't seen in the research and I have done research on caffeine. So it doesn't mean it's not out there, but I've, 
I've combed through the literature on caffeine and I haven't seen it. That being said, I mean, we know that when you consume caffeine, your heart rate is higher for a given power output. So I guess the question is, if you if your heart rate is a bit higher because you've had some caffeine and then, you know, you're out riding at zone two power, but maybe you're heart rate is a bit above zone two are you above zone two or or in zone two um and i mean i again i think i think that's a question that's currently being worked on uh i've said this on the on the podcast before but these very nuanced questions about zone two like you know what about zone two in the heat or what about zone two in the altitude what about zone two with caffeine what about zone two in the you know cold temperatures all of these very nuanced questions are something are they're all things that we can theorize about right now, but I don't think they're there. We have solid answers on any of them, at least from a research perspective. Yeah. And, and when we met with uh, Dr. Steven Seiler for your YouTube channel, he was, he was specifically talking about how that's part of what they're, you know, like the current research is working on is right. trying to get a better understanding of, you know, like we propose the question of like, okay, say you go out for a ride, you don't stay within zone two power, but your heart rate stays within zone two. Like, which one do you look at? You know, which one yeah. is the delineation for, for, you know, staying within that uh, subscribed zone? And he said, you know, he's like, they're still, they're still not sure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in this case here, you know, do you, do you need to have some kind of offset for your heart rate zones? Because you know, your average heart rate is going to be five or seven beats per minute faster when you you've consumed caffeine. And at what point does that start to taper off? Um, you know, how, how does that affect your aerobic yeah. decoupling later into your endurance rides? Um, you know, what if you supplement your right. ride with caffeine, you know, halfway through, you know? So, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of nuances that go into this. Um, I mean, I would say in general, if you're going out for a zone two ride, regardless of whether you've had caffeine or not, like the, the goal is to try and stay within zone two for both heart rate and power, which means you're not trying to push those limits. So even if you've had caffeine, hopefully, you know, your average heart rate without caffeine is somewhere like right in the middle of zone two heart rate. And then with that caffeine consumption ahead of time, maybe it's towards the higher end of zone two. Um, you know, but you shouldn't be going out trying to like ride that upper limit the whole time. Um, cause you're likely to spend quite a bit of time outside of zone two if you're doing that. Yeah. This is just another, another reason why, uh, a continuous blood lactate monitor would be so useful. I mean, it would, so remember that the reason why we're even monitoring heart rate in the first place during a zone two ride is because it's, a um, it's a marker for, what your blood lactate is doing, which is what we really care about. Um, and, and, you know, as heart rate increases, blood lactate increases. But, uh, if we just knew what your because we're trying to stay below the first lactate turn point, but if we just had a continuous blood lactate monitor and we could see in real time, whether we were staying below that first lactate turn point, then we would have the answer to all of these questions right now. We, we wouldn't, people would be figuring out the answers to these questions right now as they do their zone two rides as we speak. I mean, people would take a bunch of caffeine before a zone two ride and be like, oh, it was harder for me to keep my blood lactate down. Or people would ride in the heat and be like, oh, yeah, my blood lactate was fine, even though my heart rate was way high. So I'm, I am patiently awaiting that product. I have heard rumblings that, uh, certain companies have that in the works, but uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how close those are to being 
ready or, you know, um, available for purchase. But that that is the product that I think will revolutionize training just like the power meter did. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's just theorize a little bit more here. Um, So going back to like the the caffeine studies that you've done uh, research on, what do you think is happening that allows the uh, you know, the the subjects who take, you know, intake caffeine what do you think is taking place or what is taking place that, that allows them to have higher output uh, power output for that max effort? Um, like, is it, do you, is it related to their ability to buffer lactate? Is that what, is that what's allowing them or is it their ability to uh, like, is it decreasing the um, like the stimulus load that just allows them to like maybe their, their pain threshold increases. So it allows them to push harder than they normally otherwise would. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Uh, I would have okay. to go back and I would have to go back and review those studies. Uh, I don't I don't think that there's anything happening at the muscular level with the lactate um, with caffeine. That is, I mean, there are supplements that do affect uh, blood lactate, but caffeine is I don't think one of them. It, it's very interesting with supplements, um, and I've said I've said this before, but a lot of these supplements are not additive. Uh, meaning like, like ch- take a take here's an example and this is a real example that has been studied uh beetroot juice which is shown to improve performance and caffeine which is shown to improve performance let's just say uh, and they've done this study but i'm making these numbers up off the top of my head because i don't have the study in front of me <laughs> um let's just say caffeine improves your performance by two percent and beetroot juice improves your cat or your performance by two percent you don't get so then you're like okay I'll I'll take both and I'll get 4%. That's not what happens. When you combine both of them together, you still only get 2%. And the, I've talked about that in videos and on the podcast and I I think that's that what's going on there is that, you know, there's um there I think there's only so much uh performance improvement above your baseline that you can really ask of your body before it's just not physically possible for your body to go that much harder. Sure. Right. So, so these supplements, these supplements are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're raising the ceiling a little bit, but the ceiling can't go that much higher before it's just physiologically impossible for your current body state to do that. Um, and so, and, and the, yeah, the so thing- what, what you're, what you're saying is like, really what's happening is without the supplements, you're only unleash, unlocking 98% of your potential. But now with either of those supplements, you're unlocking 100% of your physiological potential. So by combining them, you can't all of a sudden unlock 102% because you're exceeding your body's sure. limits. Sure, that's a good way to think about it. Um, and And the interesting about just, for example, beetroot juice and caffeine is that physiologically, they're not improving... Uh, your performance in the same way. They're improving mm-hmm. your performance in different ways, and yet you still can't add them on top of each other. So, you know, um, I don't know, just something to think about there. That's kind of getting away from this person's original question, but just an interesting little side tangent. Now, what if what if we substituted beetroot juice into this equation and, instead of caffeine? Well, beetroot Cause, juice... Because beetroot yeah. juice shouldn't affect your heart rate, correct? Yeah, beetroot juice wouldn't affect your heart rate. Um, yeah, so 
you know, I, I mean, we can theorize about what beetroot <laughs> juice is doing to your zone too, but it would, honestly, it would just be speculation and us kind of shooting in the dark. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I, you know, I would say if we're, if we're going to give Josh some advice here, you know, I wouldn't say you'd need to necessarily change your routine, but maybe just be a little more mindful that on those, on those days that you're doing, you know, those long endurance rides, just, I mean, in general, your, your focus should be to keep that conversational pace. So if your heart rate's kind of, you know, elevated just slightly, but still relatively around zone two or upper end of zone two, you should be fine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Next question here. Uh, this one comes from Robert. So he says, perhaps a question to Dylan, but looking forward to all the other opinions as well. My question is specific. How do you use exert effectively if you're a self-coached athlete? Thanks. Great podcast. Mm-hmm. So this one is going to be for you because I have almost yeah. no experience with exert. I mean, it's really a question for somebody at exert, to be honest with you. I, you, <laughs> I, okay. I, I, I get questions about exert. Oh my gosh. Is Drew showing up for this? What's up? <laughs> Dude, out of nowhere, Drew just pops in. Well, I saw the text. <laughs> We're talking about your favorite subject here, man. FTP? No, exert. Uh, exert. I've never <laughs> used it. Yeah. Okay. So I, we're not going to be very helpful for this guy because I just, I, I want to say that I use exert and every time you have like a quote breakthrough ride on exert, it shows up on your Strava and it'll be like exert breakthrough. And then everybody on Strava <laughs> is like, Dylan, what do you think of exert? I, I, I have an exert account and I very peripherally use it but I have not used it extensively enough to give you a good recommendation of how to maximize using exert. Uh, I've met with the, the, I think the CEO of exert a couple of times and he's shown me a lot of the features. Uh, and you know, I, I, it's something that I want to play around with more, but I just, I just haven't played around with it enough to give, give you good advice on that. To be honest with you, the main features that I use on exert is, um, I like to see what my estimated FTP is because, you know, then I'll go out and do intervals at that estimated FTP and that estimated FTP changes on a day-to-day basis. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool to see. I know there's way, way more features than that. Um, I just haven't dug into them enough. So, so Dylan, so I, like I said, I'm not super familiar with it. I think I, I created like a free account at one point and then I don't know, use it for 30 days and then didn't want to pay for it. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get that. to dive I into create, it. I created the account and then I didn't even do it for the 30 days. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it just seemed so, overwhelming. Like, too well, it's much. just like anything you gotta, you gotta learn how to use it and then it's yeah. not overwhelming, you know? I'm so, sure. So Dylan, is it, to people is it intended to it? be like a, a little bit more user friendly version of like WKO software? Uh, Cause that's kind yeah. of what I, what I took away from it. Like a lot of the metrics that it's spitting out at you are, you know, you can, yeah. can be found within WKO if you, if you use that. Um, but most, most like self coached athletes aren't like using WKO for their training. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Uh, I guess user friendly is up, you know, is a personal opinion. Some people who are very used to WKO might say WKO is bet is more user friendly. Some people who are very used to exert might say exert is more user friendly. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's similar. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it's Robert, definitely, yeah. it's definitely, you know, uh, one of those things for people who are very, you know, the, the data hungry people who want, every little bit of data. 
I I've said this before. I don't get I the all these different training platforms and all the different metrics that they can show you. I think they're cool. I use a lot of them on a regular basis. I don't get super hung up on them or super excited about them. I'm I'm more so so excited about like what is what does research say optimal training should look like and I don't I don't get super hung up on like these these metrics that these these training platforms give you even though I use them uh on a fairly regular basis. So so if you were going to pick like a couple metrics that that exert spits out that that Robert here could reference for his self-coached training program. Well, like what would be like the main I said, focus? like I said, the the main thing that I and I, you know, the main thing that I use is the estimated FTP, which I think is pretty cool. And then Exert has Exert has uh, the same metrics that Training Peaks has, but they call them by different names. So I think instead of TSS, it's XSS. Um, and I don't know if their algorithm is slightly different to calculate that or not. Uh, but a lot of the same metrics that are on Training Peaks that coaches use every single day are also on Exert and you know, that's cool to look at. Uh, I know they've got a lot of that. I I've talked with the CEO. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff you can do with exert. It, it's a, it's a pretty cool platform if you like to go super deep into, into the data. So, um, I think that's a question for somebody who works at exert to be honest with you. Um, because they, you know, they can explain all of that way better than I can. Okay. There you go, Robert. That, that's our advice. Hit up, hit up exert. I see, see if, <laughs> see what they got for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Like there, there's, there's so many different aspects that you could get focused on, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, are you, are you following a training program that is sound? Yeah. I do think that sometimes, sometimes <laughs> athletes, it's, it's, uh, the analogy getting, what is it getting lost in the forest for the trees? I think I said it wrong. Drew, come on. Oh, the, yeah, Drew, come on. This is right up there. Um, the forest for the trees analogy. Losing the forest for the, original for the trees. One is- losing, losing the forest for the trees, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, basically, the analogy is that you're getting way hung up on super small details of training and and not taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture of training, uh, which I think is a very common thing that I see athletes do. Yeah. Uh, which is not not to say that not to say that using exert is not useful. That's not what I'm saying at all. But um, I'm just saying some of some of these some of these training metrics I do see athletes getting a little obsessive about when they don't need to be. All right, I think we can got a force Drew or no? No, Drew looked like he was deep right. in his idiom thoughts over there. Yeah, it was. I mean, I know that the original one uses it doesn't say tree. It says wood. It says getting wood. lost in the wood for the or losing the yeah losing the trees for the wood or something like that. Well, that's just, wood is just another even, name for forest. That's on an even smaller. Yeah, wood scale. is another word for forest. That's on an even smaller scale. So, if you're getting lost in the forest for the trees, that's a slightly larger scale. But you could go even deeper and get lost in the wood for the trees. Oh yeah, <laughs> or get lost in the like individual atoms. You don't know, atom you don't know the, what, but you don't know what wood. <laughs> wood is literally the opposite of what you just said. Another word for forest is wood. Oh, not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's okay let's never read, like, that. i think i think <laughs> i think i learned that from the chronicles of narnia and the very first book the magician's nephew uh the they call like the whole half the book 
happens in a forest, but they don't call it a forest. They Drew, call this it is wood. Drew. This is the part of the podcast where and, we lose half our and, audience. And one of the one of the chapters we're not talking is, about training. Well, but this is cool. One of the chapters is called the world between none no, of the wood between the worlds, which is pretty cool, which is like there's this forest between the different worlds that they're going in between. And they that's how they find Narnia is in the wood mm. between the worlds. Cool. Nice. Pretty cool. You guys should read Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia. It's a good book. Dude, I don't got time for that. Uh, yeah, definitely not. All right. There's an audio book <laughs> maybe, version maybe of it. Audio book. If, yeah. if if you have an Audible subscription and you're like me and you try to buy the most expensive books with your Audible credit, because the credit costs the same amount. If you're like me and wait for the discounts, it only costs like $6 a month. And then you can buy a $30 book with a $6 credit because the credit can get you any book. So I bought the, you can buy the entire Chronicles of Narnia Audible collection. And it, this guy does the different voices He's got like Drew, a British where, accent. Drew, it oh. is like the best audiobook I've ever listened to, probably you, besides you can, the Matthew You can get free books. <laughs> if, you, if you have a library subscription, you can get books for free. Yeah, you Libby, it's that. not that good though. I mean, you, paying for Audible, like when you pay for something, it's going to be better. All right, we're okay. so we far down, a rabbit, <laughs> I'm down just saying, a rabbit hole that's not related to training right now. Get that audiobook. You All right. won't regret it. <laughs> okay so this next it. one comes you're from driving va- if you're driving to florida with your kids in the in the car they're gonna love cr- listening to chronicles of narnia uh yeah that's okay. that's good training advice drew <laughs> moving on moving on uh, okay so this next one is a genetic ceiling follow-up so this is from a handful of episodes ago where we were talking about this subject this, so this one comes from byron no dude this is a good this one topic it's so depressing you shouldn't you shouldn't this is a good one all right so he says hello great stuff here follow up your genetic ceiling topic as a lifelong athlete it is bittersweet to be faster when i am over 40 compared to when i was in my 20s and 30s and it's all dylan's fault let me explain for context i cycled and ran cross country when i was younger in high school and college and then started back riding consistently about five days a week uh 10 years ago from 2013 to 2020, I had basically no structure to my training and rode many junk miles, about 250 kilometers a week, and I thought I was doing things right. I would often age group podium in the XC mountain bike races in Brazil, but I knew I had more potential. I was always tired, and my FTP never got over 220. I blame this on St. Dylan having not gone through puberty yet, nor had he started his <laughs> YouTube channel. <laughs> Finally, in 2020, Dylan came of age and started his. (laughs) He says, "Finally, in 2020, Dylan came of age and started his YouTube channel. I switched to a pyramidal training structure, bought a power meter for my bike, and saw massive gains. I went from 220 to 270 plus." Did he say in 2020 I came of age? (laughs) Yeah, I I think it was before that, but it hasn't happened. Whatever, folks. (laughs) He's still coming. He's still coming of age. Yeah. Right. He's in the process. Yeah. Okay, yeah. hold on. We're only halfway through. <laughs> he says, I rode six to nine hours per week. That worked for the last two years. Then at the end of last season, I burned out and took a proper off season. Good for you. Uh, this year, I've done a proper base season with about 10 hours per week. I'm feeling good in the gym sessions I know are making a huge difference for a 43-year-old. My tr- nutrition and sleep are also solid. I doubt I can increase my volume because of family and work obligations and know my fast years are numbered. Can you all share any best guesses based on what you have seen from your athletes for an FTP increase now that I have increased my volume and did a base season? 
how will I know when I'm getting close to my genetic ceiling? Byron. Mm, dude, Byron's also a Patreon supporter of me. He calls me, he calls me St. Dylan on Patreon. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, you should have like a third you you should have a third alter ego you should have backwards hat dylan and saint dylan (sighs) yeah i feel like that's a little narcissistic um (laughs) (laughs) um so how many what do you say how many patreon i think i've got like 45 or something like that what dude i need to get some of them people (laughs) leave his thing and come give me your money all right, well, then you give your answer here, Drew. I just created one like a couple weeks ago because I'm like, well, maybe some people will throw some cash my way and that'll help me make more videos and stuff. All right. So <laughs> I guess I guess to summarize what he said, he was training incorrectly when he was in his 20s and 30s. And now that he's in his 40s, he's training correctly and he's faster and he's wondering how many how much gains he can make now that he's 40. Yeah, he's 43. Yeah, so he's, yeah, he's kind of wondering, like, qu- how will he yeah, know what, what his it? when he's reached his genetic ceiling? Oh, you never know. That's the mystery. It's like you never know. There's always something you can do better, right? I mean... Well, I don't want to say you can never know because you can get tested in a lab and get your VO2 max and your, your, la- your blood lactate taken, and you can see at... You know, they can estimate your FTP and they can <clears throat> see at what percentage uh, or see this in, is in the, a lab. They the, would call it your lactate threshold. So they would they can see at what percentage of your VO2 max your lactate threshold lies. And we have data to suggest that, you know, if you're at I want to say it's 90 to 95. If you're if your lactate threshold lies above 90 percent of your vo2 max then you're probably pretty close to your genetic ceiling see talking to dylan is depressing because he's like oh well you can just go get tested and they'll tell you (laughs) and i always go with the optimistic route of you can always get better at something even if like the people in the lab go and tell you like uh yeah you're like this is all you got, buddy. You could still improve your nutrition, improve your sleep, improve your improve your efficiency, start waxing your chain. Like, do listen to that marginal maximal. Do all those things. Like, there's room for improvement. That's the cool thing about cycling or sports in general. Is like there's always room for improvement. Like even Matthew Vanderpool, who seems pretty untouchable, or Pogaccia, Like these guys, even th- they have areas where they could probably improve. It's not sure. like. You know what I mean? So that's the, I always think of it that way. I had a pretty yeah, and depressing that's, that's conversation. That's why like the l- longer disciplines, you know, so getting beyond like your 90 minute XCO or, you know, crits or, you know, any of those shorter disciplines, like those, you know, it, it is harder to get faster as you age, but the longer the, the race is, the more room there is for improvement in all these other aspects, you know, where FTP improvements become less relevant as, you know, some of the, some of these other areas of, for improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, so, but, like, but he specifically asks, you know, what, what do we think he, he could potentially achieve FTP wise? Like how much more room for growth is there? Um, and, and how will he know he's like achieved that like highest FTP? So let's, let's, let's focus on that first. Uh, and then I hate that question. If we want to add some more, so, you know, yeah. So I have gotten this question. I don't want to say a lot, but it comes up, uh, frequently enough where people, either asking like, Hey, if I buy your training plan, like how much will it increase my FTP? And they usually give no context, right? They're just, they're just like, how much will my FTP increase if I buy your FTP increase plan? 
I'm like, I have no idea how long you've been training, how, you know. Come on, guys. That's a clickbait. (laughs) The only reason he even put that as the title is clickbait. He wanted you to buy it (laughs) thinking you're going to increase your FTP. That's it. Accept that reality. Well, I, I just, I, it's hard to quantify how much if you don't have, uh, if you, if you know very little about the person. Now, Byron did give us some pretty key pieces of, of information. He's 43. Sounds like he's been training for most of his life, uh, doing endurance sports for most of his life. Is that correct? Um, he, he did endurance sports when he was in high school and college. Then he took some time off until he was like in his mid 30s. So okay. it took about 10 years off, we'll, we'll assume. Yeah, again, it's, I, I, I don't want to give you a number because there, there are a whole list of factors that affect this that, uh, you know, and it's, it's, hard, it's hard to just say, oh, I bet you could increase your FTP by 40 watts or 30 watts or something. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to give a, a blanket number like that, but, um, and this is also assuming that he has to stay at what, 10 hours per week. Like he can't bump up to 15 yeah. or something. Correct. You can yep. always add an hour. That's what add one hour. <laughs> you can always add more. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, I, I, you're not, I don't think I, given the information that, so I guess what I'll say is that given the information that you've given us, I don't think that you're at your genetic ceiling currently. I think that you have room to go. I just am very hesitant about giving you a number like 40 watts or 50 watts or something um, because there's there's too many variables here to do that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think I, I agree. You know, he, he's, he's only into his third year of structured training with, you know, power meter mm-hmm. and uh he's using a pyramidal training structure and this year he did a base, you know, proper base season. I think one of the things that he'll probably see a pretty big bump in, in fitness from is taking a, an actual off season, you know, hopefully some time off the bike and some downtime from structured riding. You know, I think, I think he'll see a sizable or, you know, measurable improvement from that. Um, you know, but yeah, I agree. It's, you know, I get that question all the time when I'm doing athlete interviews for, you know, potential new clients is like, where can, where can we get my FTP to? And I'm just like, one, it's, it's hard for me to know until we get into training and have like, and I have a better idea of like, you know, how consistent you can be and, you know, how the quality of your, you know, you know, workouts and, and kind of what your trajectory is. But, um, even once I see that, it's like, it's, it, it is, it's just hard to know. Like there, there's not a real good way to like estimate what your potential improvement is. Yeah. I would review I would review the video that I made about how aging affects cycling performance uh because you are getting to that age where it's going to start affecting your cycling performance um from what I seem to recall from that video around about your 50s is where your cycling performance tar- starts to take a sharp downturn um like you're probably going to peak around you know 30 years oldish right uh, late twenties, early thirties. Uh, and then there's going to be a gradual decline in your forties, but I think around your fifties, if I can recall correctly, it's been a while since I made that video, but I think around your fifties is where there starts to be a sharper downturn. Um, and I guess the good news is there, you got a, you got a few years before you hit 50 years old. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 you may think of yourself as old, but I don't think you're that old yet. Yeah. And I would say, you know, once you're 
kind of past your prime, I think the consistency of your training becomes more relevant too. Um, if Mm -hmm. you know, like there have been like meta analysis studies that have, uh, come out comparing like marathon times for like, uh, well-trained athletes across like, you know, 18 to 70 years old. And what Mm -hmm. you see is like a pretty steep incline in performance from 18 to say peak at 29 or 30. And then, a really gradual taper off from that point downward. Um, but the, the key there is consistency. You know, if you lose a year or two of consistent training and try and get back into it, it's going to be much harder to get back to that level that you were at. But if you maintain that consistent training, you know, and, and stay within this well-trained athlete category, then you can hold on to that fitness for quite a while. Um, and like yeah. we were talking about before this was, you know, don't miss out on all the other opportunities to get faster as well. You know, if racing is truly the thing that you're training for, then look into all the different options for how you can, you know, contribute to improving your, your overall, uh, race performance, you know, so nutrition, uh, recovery, uh, gear, you know, equipment setup, um, technical skills, uh, you know, race strategy, pacing, like there, there's so many different things that go into it. And if you can, if you can capitalize on improving all of those areas, then you can maintain, you know, you know, even if your FTP loses 10% over the next 10 years, you know, you can still maintain that overall speed. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe even get faster. Like you see some guys that, that are still fast well into their forties, you know, late forties because they've, they're just such good quality racers that even if their fitness level has kind of decreased relative to the, you know, th- their old self, they're, they're still able to maintain a pretty fast pace overall. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. Hey, so when we do our, when we do our training with our new coaches, the like, one of the first things we do <laughs> Andy, when we talk about training with the, with the coaches is the like triangle of training, which is the frequency, volume, intensity. And if you're working with a coach or coaching yourself, I, I, you can almost think about it like as those three buckets, like, are you maximizing those three buckets frequency? Like how consistent are you volume is your volume, you know, could you increase volume? And then is your intensity proportions, right? Like, are you getting the, in the two intensity days a week in the right order? And I'd say once you're doing all three of those, right. What I've noticed is when you start only getting little, like little, like one watt increases in FTP, like, like the, the, the gaps are getting way smaller that's when I'd say you're getting really close to your genetic ceiling. And that's like, obviously from like personal experience, like mm-hmm. I haven't, I mean, like I've been at the same FTP for a long time now or within a 10 watt range, you know, like it'll go up or down within a 10 watt range. And it's like, at that point, like if I'm, if I'm scraping, if I'm like putting in everything and only getting two or three more Watts on my FTP, then it's gotta be pretty close to my genetic ceiling. Like if I'm maxing yeah. out all three of those buckets, um, that's what I'd say. But if somebody still has room for improvement in any three of those areas and we can see that FTP still getting, you know, big bumps, then I'd say they're, they, they still have plenty of room to grow. Yeah. And, and what I would say for most people is it's, it's your relative genetic ceiling because there's likely going to be some constraint that contributes to not maximizing your volume. You might be yeah. able to stay yeah. super consistent you might have your training structured in like the perfect manner where you're hitting the right intervals at the right time. Um, but almost everyone aside from pro athletes have some constraint that's, that's contributing to a decrease, you know, lower volume than what their 
physical potential could be. So you have to keep that in mind. It, it truly is like your relative genetic ceiling. Like how much can you get out of yourself given the constraints that you're, you're dealing with? Yeah, sure. totally. And, and just life constraints too can go beyond just volume. I mean, let's say your job gives you a baseline level of stress and if mm-hmm. you didn't have to do that job, you could train a little bit harder, <laughs> right? Sure. So this baseline level of stress is going to give you a relative genetic ceiling because you have this job that you have to do that doesn't have to do with cycling. Or, you know, uh, let's say for whatever reason, you can only get six hours of sleep per night instead of the recommended eight hours of sleep. Or let's let's say you have some some sort of dietary thing. Like there's so many different factors that could uh, influence your relative genetic ceiling. Um, and your your overall genetic ceiling would be if every single box in your life is checked to get your performance as, as good as it could possibly be. Um, you know, sleep, diet, the right age, the right amount of training, the right intensity, frequency, all of that. All of it is perfectly aligned to to put you at your, your peak. Uh, most people are not there, but the relative, the relative genetic ceiling is a good point. I mean, I I would argue probably, you know, 90% of pro athletes don't even get to that point because there's something that they're not willing to sacrifice. Like there's always something that Mm -hmm. could be improved. You know, there's only a select handful of, I mean, if Dylan was trying to hit his, hit his, his true genetic ceiling, he probably wouldn't be on this podcast. He'd be like laying down in his bed and (laughs) dream, dreaming about his pedaling stroke or something. Uh huh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anything else for Byron here? Uh, I think that's all. Um, if you got more questions, Byron, you can ask them here, or you can ask them on Patreon. If anybody else wants to ask questions <laughs> on Patreon, <laughs> no, go, no, go ask me online. I don't even know what my title or whatever is, but you guys can find me. There's a there's a link there's a link in my latest YouTube video. Okay. For if you want to go support my patreon are we gonna are we gonna do a matchbox patreon byron you should leave dylan and come support me okay i was gonna say so come support saint drew Drew, Drew, help you with all those but i I wasn't about to but i wasn't about to refer to myself as saint drew that was was that was very convincing drew all right is that is that our last question are we gonna yeah okay cool i think so yeah we were at 40 minutes that's pretty good yeah sounds good all right see you guys thanks for coming on drew All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go! I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. 
Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.